I walked up to my seat and I'm sitting and standing next to our media pastor and he's looking a little stressed and he's got his cell phone. He's trying to make sure the live stream's playing on the website and it wasn't on his cell phone. Fortunately, I host both the website and the YouTube live stream and it was playing on mine, which was a good sign that those of you who are on the website right now are being able to see the service. He got it worked, he chilled out. And then about that time, I noticed that on the website, we spelt church this week, capital C, capital U, R-C-H. No, capital C, capital S. I can't even spell it. That's the way the morning's been all already. It's been that way all morning long. Capital C, capital H, U-R-C-H. He said, it's okay. We're trying to emphasize. We're glad to be at church. And so, you know, I said, great. And then about that time, I looked up and saw on the slides, some of you, particular English majors probably noticed it, that in the middle of Be Thou My Vision, where the, the tagline was supposed to say, God's love revealed, it actually said God's love reveled to this morning. Which I thought, okay, we can probably put that off too. I mean, we, we want to, and it's appropriate, and God wants us to revel in his love. So, you know, we'll use the typos and, and things to our, our benefit. So I'm hosting YouTube this morning, and I'm saying hi to everybody. One of our dear and precious members, we just love her to death, Dot is on YouTube this morning. She's, she's homebound, she moved out of the area, so she still watches this online. Um, every morning and I'm hosting I'm saying hey Dot we're glad you're online glad you're here glad to see you and then I wanted to say we love you Dot autocorrect changed it to dad so (laughs) right in the middle of this conversation with Dot it says we love you dad now let me clarify I do love my dad but I meant to say we love you Dot I decided we're going to need to add a fifth core value to our church we embrace our imperfections if next, next time a coworker at work says, hey, I don't want to go to church, they all think they're perfect, tell them, go to our church. It's clear. All you have to do is watch the slides and see what's taking place. Listen to the pastor for five minutes and you'll know we're not a perfect church. Actually, I actually saw a church one time called Imperfect Church. And then our former worship pastor texted me one time a picture from a church outside of town, someplace he was at, and it was called Perfect Church. And his text said, we finally found it. <laughs> I was actually in that region one time after he did that, and I went by. Um, my conclusion was it wasn't. So we're just going to continue our imperfection, continue looking forward to seeing Jesus, who will make everything right and perfect. There is, there is a moment, there is a day when we cross the threshold into heaven, and everything will be perfect. Looking forward to that. I also discovered this morning, I'm, I'm in a good place. I've decided I'm in a really good place as, as an adult. We um, fin- wrapped up rehearsal. We had just finished singing what we just sang. Just, Father, we love you. We worship. We adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. And I looked over to Pastor Josh and said, man, that brings back some memories. There are some youth camps and things like that, that that little chorus brings back memories. Then I realize I'm in a really good spot. I have enough tenure in life that I have lots of memories. I have lots of memories and, and can just wander around back there and talk and tell stories to everybody about things I've experienced and things I've done. But my tenure isn't so long that I've started forgetting them. I, I still actually have them. And so I've got some years to hold on to those. So we may just do memories 
Maybe do a whole series. Just no, I don't think so. Anyway, we're in First Thessalonians, so let's go to our Bibles. Let's go to the New Testament. We're going to go to a little tiny letter in the towards the end of the New Testament that Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, which is up in the northern part of Greece, and he's talking about their relationships, and he's discussed it in a number of different ways. And in this moment. He is talking about and he's reflecting on, actually he's having kind of one of those let's remember moments about their leadership and what was taking place in Thessalonica. And it is important for us to understand what Christian leadership looks like because Christian leadership is distinct from all other forms of leaders. There's there's any number of ways you can lead. You can lead politically, you can lead in business, you can lead in your family, you can lead in your community. There's all types of ways. And we're about to go into a season where we will experience and we will be called upon to make decisions about leaders. Primaries start next week here in Texas and we will be making decisions about future leaders for our state. We uh, have city elections here in May, and we'll be making decisions in just about every race is contested this year about who leads our city, who runs our city, who, who makes things happen in our city, and we'll be making those decisions. You may be considering a marital relationship, you may be engaged, you may just be dating, and one of the huge conversations that has to take place is how are we going to lead this family? How is that going to, what's that going to look like? What's going to take place? School, we got kids that will be graduating here um, in just a few months, and they'll be put into and given opportunities for leadership. What does that look like? As a church, later this spring, probably right at the edge of spring, summer, uh, we'll be making decisions about new deacons, and you'll be looking around the congregation, and you'll be nominating names to our deacon officers who will filter through that process and help select new deacons for our church. And you need to be asking What kind of leaders do I want in our church? What kind of leadership should our church have? We should be looking at these things, thinking about these things. The truth is leadership is an everyday experience. We are either leading or being led every day. And as believers, we want to lead and we want to be led in a way that is distinctly, obvious and visibly attached to Jesus. So in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about that leadership. He talks about, in a real upfront matter, what they did and how they lived. In verse 7, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, recognizing that leadership has a price and it has a cost. Instead, he says, we were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children, We care so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, which is that hope, that message that brings about the relationship we have with Jesus that forgives us of our sins. Not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters. Working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, we comforted, and implored each of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So this is Christian leadership. 
The base of this leadership is not personality, behavioral patterns. It's not education and credentials. The basis of this relationship is not involved in stature, height, or or presentation, or power outfits. The basis of this type of leadership is does it look like, feel like Jesus? And does it attract people to Jesus? Not to the leader, not to the organization, but to Jesus. Jesus, who Paul reminds us, God has used him to bring about our salvation and call us into his own kingdom and his own glory. We change residencies when we believe in Jesus. We are a new person. We are a new individual. We're going to study that and our students are going to concentrate on that in just a couple of weeks as they gather for discipleship weekend, which we call D-Now weekend. And they'll be gathering with guest musicians and guest speakers and be a part of that time of learning as they're progressing in their lives as students what it means to be a follower of Jesus and specifically how following Jesus changes everything. We are new people. We are being brought into, we are being called into God's own kingdom. And we reflect the values and we reflect the character of that kingdom first and foremost. So what does that character look like? I find it interesting that the very first thing Paul says is that it's gentle leadership. If you go back up to verse seven, he talks about how they weren't a burden, how they tried not to be a burden, but his you know, sort of caveat to not being a burden was instead we were gentle among you. Christian leadership is gentle. It's nice. It's pleasant. It's enjoyable. And I know there are tons of leadership theories. I've studied it all my life, have an undergraduate degree in it. I understand all the dynamics and everything that's necessary and all the things that are required for strength But the one thing that should happen to every believer in Christ is that you become gentle. I remember early on in my pilgrimage as a believer and then as a minister and then as a pastor, how oftentimes I was disillusioned because I saw leaders who honestly weren't gentle. And they could build huge and magnificent and and just awe-inspiring organizations But the people that dealt with them lived in fear and anxiety. I was with one of those men one day. I happened to be in his city and was visiting him and we were friends. We seen one another at conventions and conferences and I was was going through, it was the first time I'd ever been through all of his facility. And I, I never forgot on that day, in that moment, as we were walking through the office complexes, we came through a short hallway, a small hallway, into a doorway, into this kind of open area of, of open space for work where secretaries and assistants and different people were interacting. And as we walked through the door and he said hello, the lady that was at the desk looked up, called him by name, oh, pastor, and then proceeded to drop everything in her hands. She was literally so frightened that her pastor, her ultimate boss, her CEO, had walked into her room that she dropped every file, and there was a bunch of them. There's 100, 100, 150 files all over the floor. I'm so sorry, doctor. I'm so, I'm so sorry. And I'm thinking, this is, this is sick. I'll be honest. I'll be very candid with you. 
your employees should not be afraid of you. Now, there are times when employees do things that you ought to be afraid of your boss. But that's not every day, and that's not when you walk into the room. And I made a decision right then. I said, I want my staff, when I walk into their office, when I walk up to their desk, I want them to look at me and say, Pastor James, I'm glad to see you. You've made my day. I know, it sounds kind of egotistical too. (laughs) I realize that. I don't always make their day. But there needs to be a gentleness. I I saw this. I experienced this firsthand. Uh, My wife, Carrie, her grandfather was a pastor for over 50 years here in the Houston area. Pastored one church for almost 30 years right here in the Houston area. And I remember when I was dating her, I would go to family events. Of course, he he was my favorite of all of her relatives because day one, he thought, if my granddaughter's going to marry a preacher, I'm happy. So, so I had qualified in his category, and he was always supportive of our relationship and always supportive of us getting married and, and, and that whole process. And, and I, I used to listen to him. He was literally the gentlest man I've ever known. And as I looked at his life, which we always looked at pictures and old church bulletins and things, I could see a trajectory where as he got older and as he gained notoriety as a pastor and as he gained tenure in the city, he just got gentler and gentler. And I used to pray. I used to pray almost daily. Lord, as I get older, as I get more experience in the pastorate, please let me be like Dr. Commander. Christian leadership's gentle. You don't need to fear it. You don't need to be anxious about it. You don't need to worry that it's going to create a burden because the the leader is attempting not to be a burden. And in Paul's case, this is a literal physical desire not to be a burden. The entire time he was in Thessalonica, he worked a secular, regular job every day to make sure that church didn't have to pay anything. He embodied this gentleness and this desire not to weigh down the congregation, but to lift up the congregation. Leadership is relational. I mean, after all, if, you're, if, if there's nobody in your life and there's nobody in relationship with you, then it's a sure guess you're not a leader. And so you can check out on the rest of the message because this doesn't apply to you. If nobody's with you, nobody's following you, then you're not a leader. It doesn't matter what your title is. If nobody wants anything to do with you, you're not leading anybody. You're not even leading yourself in that case. Let's just be honest about it and candid. We care so much for you that we were pleased, he says in verse 8, to share with you not only the gospel, not only the message of hope, which is critical eternally. It's the biggest, most significant decision anyone here will make, the decision to believe and trust in Jesus. And Paul says, not only did we want to share that with you, but we wanted to share, and I love his phrasing, I love the way he says this, our own lives. Our own lives. It's, it's hard to do that when you're a leader because of the demands on your time and the situations and circumstances you have to deal with all the time. But your people ought to know you. There, there is legitimacy to authenticity. I, 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 as I described earlier with that, that tenure thing where I've got lots of memories but I haven't started losing them yet, um, I remember early in the ministry Being told in ministry, being told in church leadership, the opposite of what I was hearing in business school. 
And what I was being told in business school is the more realistic you are, at that point, several books had come out about how you just needed to be with your people. The phrase walking around amongst the people was very popular in, in business leadership. And everything in business leadership at that point in time was about being more relational, knowing people better, letting people know you, listening to what the people on the floor have to say. And in church, I was being told, don't let them know your life. Don't, don't ever tell stories about your family. Don't ever, don't ever tell stories about your struggles. Whatever you do, don't let them know you struggle because they need to look up to you. I had enough struggles, I gave up on it pretty quick because I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily make that work. But now I look at the scripture and I look at this passage and I realize Paul shared his life with them. And look at the last phrase there, the end of verse eight. Because you had become dear to us. You've become dear to us. Christian leaders are relational people. It's about relationships. It's about being involved in one another. It's about hearing what people have to say. It's about walking alongside them. It is not about always walking out in front of them. And it's not about not walking with them because you want them to respect you. It's about living together. Because everything every one of us goes through, all of us go through. Every one of us deals with illness. Every one of us deals with financial circumstances. Every one of us deals with health things. Every one of us deals with family issues. Every one of us struggles in every single area. So let's live life together. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why, we, that's why the women's ministry is having a game night next week that they're not inviting us to. We're not bitter about it. Um, we're, just, we're just looking through the, the, the possibilities of what us guys can do, and no girls are allowed in our fort either. Um, you know, Let's live life together. Christian leadership is relational, and yet at the same time, being gentle and being relational, being loving, appreciating one another, doesn't mean you don't work hard. Look what Paul says in verse, in verse nine. You remember our labor and our hardship. Thessalonica was not a fun church to be at. There was persecution. They had just experienced persecution nearly to the point of death, all, with, all the way to the point of imprisonment in Philippi before they came to Thessalonica. There was persecution. There was opposition to what was taking place. The church was a fledgling church with all kinds of new issues. It had been birthed by Jewish converts to Christianity, but the bulk of the con context of that church was Gentile in nature, and so they lived their cultures differently. It was, it was not an easy place, but Paul did it. He worked hard, working night and day, so that you, we would not be a burden to any of you. We preached the gospel to you. I've never have quite understood this one, but I've seen people over the years in Christian leadership that sort of assumed that because they were in Christian leadership, it was an excuse for sort of a lackadaisical, non-driven just sort of restful lifestyle. I'll just give you a hint. The quickest way for me not to hire somebody is let your first question in the interview be how many vacation days I get. <laughs> not because of me, so remember the gentle part, but because of the vision and the passion of our staff, we don't have any staff members that ever use the totality of their vacation days. Now, we encourage them to go on vacation. 
And there are times when they're on vacation, we have to send out a mandate to the rest of the office, don't email, because they're down at Disney playing with their kids, answering their emails to us. We understand you need time with your family. You need time off. You need time in isolation. And today's technology has made that very difficult. For the first half of my Christian ministry, when I was at the ranch, when I was in a deer stand, nobody could talk to me. Today, the, I guess there is a side benefit. If I'm bored, I can have a conversation with anyone. Anybody can text me. Anyone can email me. I can check it all I want. I can look at the news and get stressed out. Um, I can go to YouTube and try to entertain myself. I mean, you know, it's just not like it used to be in the outdoors. <laughs> thanks to technology. We encourage our staff to create space and have time, and they need to do that. But our staff, our team, they work night and day. We'll laugh. We'll get together in the morning sometimes and talk, and we'll think, and somebody will say, hey, last night I woke up and I was thinking about this and wondering if we could implement this idea, because we love this church. We love this ministry, and we want this ministry to succeed. It's, it's, it's in our DNA, and we desire it. And that's a good thing. And we want staff that are driven. Because as we first pointed out and first looked at at the end of verse 12, we are not doing this for ourselves. We are doing this for the kingdom of God, for God's glory. And if we have to give our lives, as Paul literally faced when he was in northern Greece, that choice we will do it because we are fully, passionately committed to the work of Christ and to the kingdom of God. It's gentle leadership, it's relational leadership, it's hardworking leadership, and it's godly leadership. You are witnesses, he says in verse 10, and so is God, how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you as believers. That doesn't, Paul's not saying, hey, we got it all right. And Paul says regularly throughout the New Testament, look, imitate me, but he always qualifies it as I imitate Christ. We want to, and as leaders, we desire to live a life that is worthy of imitation. That's not arrogance, and that's not some kind of sense of, oh, we're perfect, we've got it all together, we've got all the answers. We don't. In a wide variety of areas, we don't. But our lives should reflect the fact that we have pledged full and complete 100% allegiance to a holy God. And that holy God wants to know us out of his love and out of his grace. And that holy God made the relationship possible because when I trusted Jesus, my unrighteousness was replaced by the righteousness of Christ. He washed me, as the Old Testament describes it in the book of Isaiah, white as snow, gave me a complete new garment as just described in the prophets so that I would look and act like my holy, righteous God. Do I get it right every single time I cut myself or hit my thumb when I'm working on something? No. But I try and I try and I try. Because we want to be godly leadership. In fact, if there's anything you could pray for, for the Christian leaders in your life, is pray for their godliness. Godliness is a mixture of God's grace and our discipline. God infuses righteousness into us, but we gotta study the Bible. God gives us open access 
to visit and talk with him anytime we want to. <laughs> but we need to have the conversations. It is a mixture of that hard work and the amazing love of God that a person can be a godly person, be a godly husband, be a, be a godly wife, be a godly father, a godly mother, be a godly school teacher, be a godly student amongst your peers, be a godly athlete. What a great example we have of everything ungodly right now in athletics. Across the board, pick up any news feed lately about the sports and you can see everything that's wrong. You can see a few that are right. Embrace those. Look at those. I know of no better arena in today's society than the, the arena of athletics where godly people can make a huge difference, whether it's coaches or players. Be godly. Let people see and know your godliness in every way. And then that creates what most of us think of when we talk about leaders, inspirational leaders. He says, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, we comforted, and we implored each of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We struggled. We struggled with how we wanted to phrase that because it's the image. Paul's, Paul's picture here is reminiscent of that coach, reminiscent of that, that leader that draws out and, and pushes people and moves us to a, a higher plane or a higher goal or a greater accomplishment. And we need to do that. But you have to balance that with the gentleness. I've told this story before. I had to learn that with my own children when they were in athletics. My natural choleric A-type personality lent towards the opposite of what I wanted to do. And so my daughter would be on a cross-country track meet and she would be running and she would be at the halfway mark and she would come by and I would be yelling, you can do this, take that girl in front of you, spike her, get past her. It turned out I was, all I was accomplishing was embarrassing my daughter and probably putting our church into question at the same time. So towards the end of college, I think it took all the way to college for me to learn this lesson, I began to yell out things like, I believe in you. And I did. There's very few people on earth, maybe just her brother and her mother, that I believe in as much as I do my daughter. I love her. I'm deeply, it's kind of hard to talk to her when she's behind the camera. Because um, <laughs> I suddenly realize I'm looking straight into her and she's magnified having to look at me. Anyway, don't worry about that. This is, this is we forgot to announce it and brand it, but this is Imperfect Sunday. And so, <laughs> across the board. I just realized I could do a whole lot better saying, I love you. I believe in you. I'll see you at the finish line. And yes, I want to see at the finish line taking first, but if you take third, it doesn't change any of those other things. I still love you. I still believe in you. Paul's talking about imploring people. Christian leaderships need to be inspirational. Let's encourage and bring people, not just because emotional IQ and emotional leadership is, is an end thing, but because people need encouragement. The Christian life is a great life. And that's why we invite you into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But it can sometimes be a hard path. The greatest vistas in the world are often seen only by difficult 
trails and difficult journeys. So let's just do it together. Let's inspire one another and be inspirational leadership. Let's be leaders.